Blog Talk Radio. Pediatric Speech Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today we are on show number 276, and it's actually show number two in a series I started last week discussing all the skills a toddler must use before words emerge. And this is such an important topic for parents of late talkers as well as for the therapists who work (laughs) with uh, very young children who have communication delays. So let me talk just briefly about last week's show so that you can catch up. What you really should do if you haven't listened yet is go back and listen to that one so that we are all on the same page. In that show, I took lots and lots of time explaining all of the skills that we – actually, let me just say it this way. I spent a lot of time talking about background information, meaning the number of words that children usually exhibit and at certain ages so that you can know definitively whether your child falls within that that realm of children who do have some delays, who are late talkers. I gave you some other background information about all of the the really complex processes that have to happen before words emerge. And again, that's new information for a lot of parents because you haven't thought about it a lot before, as as you you shouldn't have done that because that that's not your line of work or what you study to do or or who you are. You just have come into this late talking arena because you're concerned uh, because at least one of your children is not using words in in a way that you expected and you know that there's an issue and so you're doing everything you can to gather information. So last week's show is a fantastic place to start if you've never listened to the podcast and again if you're new to this whole all of this information about late talking. What we're going to do in today's show is I want to give you an overview of what those important 11 skills are. And as I said last week, it doesn't really matter if a child talks or or these skills aren't really important regarding when a child begins to talk because here's the truth. The pattern that we're going to talk about over this next series of shows and the the general pattern of, of skills that we'll be talking about today exist whether children talk on time or whether they talk early or whether they happen to be later talkers. So I wanted to go ahead and mention that to you and, and, and let you be confident in knowing, you know, you don't have to really think, well, my child is two and not talking and she keeps saying things about 12-month-olds or 18-month-olds. This information isn't going to apply. Or or maybe you have a child who's even older. Say you have a child who's three and who has autism and who is nonverbal. The pattern, the sequence of these skills is what's going to be really, really important. So even though last week I spent lots and lots of time talking about age ranges and particularly in regard to vocabulary size, don't get stuck on that. That was just a basis for comparison. And again, lots of parents will email me at my website at teachmetotalk.com and they'll say things like, I'm not really sure if this information is applicable because, and they'll they'll give me what they think is an outlier or a really specific reason that only applies to their child. And let me just say, if that's kind of what you've done or you're looking for, don't worry about that right now. Don't try to factor that in. The information that I'm going to share with you really is applicable across the board. And it really almost even supersedes any child-specific diagnosis. So maybe you're listening for me to say a word like apraxia, or you're listening for me to say autism, or you're listening for me to say mixed expressive receptive language delay. Try not to let a diagnosis, if you've already received one for your child, try not to let that get in the way of you just hearing and deciphering this information and then applying it to what you see happening with your child. Because, again, the things that we'll be discussing, the skills, sometimes I call them skills and sometimes I say something like milestones, All of these things ring true across the board, whether a child is talking already 
and just a little bit behind, whether a child is, you know, has a significant or severe issue going on. You know, you may be a parent who's at the very beginning of this, and to hear someone say just a word like disability may scare you to death. And again, I'm not here to really talk about a scope of a child's issues, meaning whether a kid has a mild issue or a moderate issue or a severe issue, because, again, without seeing your child, I have no real information about what's going on with him or her, but rest assured that you can apply this information. You can listen to the 11 skills that we're going to talk about today. And again, today's just an overview show. I'm just going to describe the skill and talk about it just a little bit. And then in the weeks to come, we'll take each of these 11 skills and have an entire show devoted to not only what the skill is and how we look for it, how we measure it, but more importantly, what you can do at home as a parent or as a speech-language pathologist or an early intervention professional, whatever you call yourself, <laughs> what you can do to help late talkers learn to use words in a meaningful manner. So um, let's just dive right in to uh, what these skills are. So that you can get an idea, and remember here when we're when I'm listing these skills and when we're talking about them, I want you to think about them in two specific ways. And this is what a therapist or a doctor or any other kind of professional developmental professional that you may have helping you look at your child and let you know whether there's a problem or not, or maybe your child's already in therapy. Here, here's what we look for when we are talking about when we are looking at milestones, when we are deciding, you know, is this child or isn't this child, um, is, is there or isn't there a problem, we have to always assess or judge skills or rate a child's performance in terms of quantity and quality. And let me explain what I mean by those two terms, and let me tell you why this is important. Let's say you've had your child evaluated or you're in that process, and the doctor asks you something like, does your child wave bye-bye? And you hedge a little bit because you think, hmm, you know, four weeks ago when my husband was leaving for work, he did hold up his hand when my husband said bye, and I think he may have tried to wave bye-bye, so should I answer this yes or should I answer this no? Now, for some of you, you don't struggle with this because you're kind of black and white about everything in your life. You, don't, you, really, you really are a straight shooter, and you can say yes or no to about anything. <laughs> but some of us kind of live in gray, meaning, well, he did a little, and I don't want to not give him credit for it if he really knows how to do it. And do you really mean he does it all the time, or do you mean that he, he does it sometimes? You know, let me just say, when you start thinking about skills in terms of quantity, meaning that, yeah, he, he needs to do the, the things that we're going to be talking about, all of these 11 skills, you need to see them fairly regularly before you would really answer yes before you you can feel confident that he or she, if you have a little girl, and certainly little girls are late talkers too, um, you, you need to really know from a quantity perspective, yeah, this is something I see him do every single day multiple times because quantity is really, really important. Frequency is important. You can't just have seen the skill one time, two or three weeks ago or months ago and say, yeah, she does that. So make sure that, that you are seeing these skills. You know, if you if you would have to answer if, if the things that I'm saying to you today, tell me whether he never does it, whether he sometimes does it, whether he frequently does it, whether he always does it, you want to err on the side of frequent or always before you can really say, yeah, that's something my child does not have a problem with. And let me just say this. If you are saying to some of these skills, yeah, I've seen him do it occasionally, that's your starting point because that skill is what we would consider to be emerging. And by emerging, I mean that's what a child is working on. That's what he or she is trying to learn. So that's where you start. Sometimes we think we have to start with children with, with things that they are nowhere near able to do. And that really 
uh, of course, is uh, appropriate because that may be the long-term goal for a child. But really, if we work at what they're sort of able to do and work with what seems to be emerging and what what they're just you almost feel like, as a, and as a therapist, I know you'll relate to this, what they're just right on the verge of being able to do, that's where we begin. So as a parent, if you're listening to some of these um, things that we're going to be talking about, these areas, and you think, well, I don't know if I would really give him credit for that or not, I want you to immediately say to yourself, aha, that's it. This is what I can work on. This is what I know isn't going to be too hard because my child is already sort of trying to do that on his or her own, and I haven't really paid attention to it. And then you know if I can just tweak it a little bit, if I can just listen to these shows and get some ideas, that'll be easier for him because I'm helping him. I'm facilitating that skill. I'm I'm setting the stage so that he's able to learn it and really really master that skill. So again, quantity here is really, really important. As we're as we're talking about these skills, I want you to be able to answer at least frequently or always when you're listening to me describe these things. And so if you were saying, eh, my kid occasionally does this, you'll kind of make a note of it. Well, hmm, this is something I can work on. Or if you're already working with a, a therapist, a speech pathologist, an early interventionist, a developmental specialist or whatever they call teacher people in your state or or your uh, ABA program, whatever you're doing, that may be a skill that you want to mention to your therapist and say, hey, I was listening to this podcast and I heard this lady say that this particular skill is important. Let's talk about that. I, you know, I think my child occasionally does this and I want you to give me some ways for us to work on this at home or I want us to target this together. I want you to work on this in therapy too because I'm not sure that we're really uh, thinking about this or including this as a part of my child's treatment program and, and we know that this is a skill that's required before a child begins to talk. So just have some of these conversations and again that may be your biggest takeaway is you're able to kind of sit with this list that I'm going to give you today and, and take it to your therapist and say, Hey, I want to discuss this. I want some information about this. What this is how I feel my kid does with this skill. Tell me what you see in this area, so that you can really use it as a starting point for a conversation. Now, some of you that terrifies you because you think I don't want to tell my therapist that I'm doing anything differently than what he or she recommends. Let me just say, for most. Who who have and, and who have your child's best interest at heart? They're going to welcome information. They're going to welcome your questions. They want you to be involved. They want you knowing things about your child because when you get involved, when you commit to really really working on these kinds of things at home, and when you do everything you can to um, gather more information and educate yourself, it makes the therapist's job so much easier because then you're working on skills, not just in an isolated one hour, two hour, you know, two times a week for 30 minutes, however long your child participates in therapy, but then your child is is because of you and your commitment working on these skills all of the time. And then language, learning how to talk, becomes an all-day, everyday activity, not just something that happens when your child is in therapy. So again, don't anticipate that your therapist won't welcome these kinds of questions because most of the time, most therapists, again, will do everything they can to make sure that you are involved and that you are wanting to do everything you within your power to help your child. So don't be afraid to ask your therapist questions. And even if it's a little uncomfortable at first, you know, that could be to all different kinds of reasons. It could be that you just caught the therapist by surprise. It could be that maybe you haven't been as participatory or maybe the, the therapist misjudged how into this you really are. So again, don't let any hesitancy on your part or any any feeling of not wanting to step on the therapist's toes, that'll happen a lot where you say, well, I don't, I don't want her to think that I think she's doing anything wrong. That's not the point of this. The point would be just having a conversation about something that is relevant to your child's progress. And again, we're all on the same team here. We all want the same outcome. We want our, our little friends who are late talkers to 
catch up, make the most progress that they can. And many, many, many times that is uh, that really begins in earnest when a parent gets super serious about making sure that they understand the entire scope of their child's problems, every area they need to work on, and then takes it that next step and is really talking to their therapist about what can I do at home. This is what I've noticed. This is what I think I should do. You give me some more suggestions because you've seen my child. You have an objective overview that, that again, someone like me, I don't know your kid. I can give you this information based on my experience and based on science, based on what we've learned about language development through the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of studies that, we, that we've that we completed with late-talking children, you know. So, again, all of this information is super important, super valuable. But the best thing you have going for you is working for a therapist who's also seen your child and who, who can consider the entire child and all of the factors. So, again, I hope that this information can be uh, a launching for conversations that you'll have with the therapists that are working with your families. All right, we talked about analyzing these skills in terms of quantity. Now let's kind of look at it at, at with, from a qualitative perspective. And by that I mean how I think about quality is just, again, it's sort of related to frequency, but but let me just say, I think about it more in terms of mastery or how recognizable is the skill, meaning that sometimes our little friends who have developmental delays have some little quirks. And so even when they do something like, uh, again, let's use our, pre, our prior example of waving bye-bye. So your child may do something that someone else may not recognize as waving bye-bye. Or you know that, okay, gosh, it doesn't look quite like the other babies when, when he does it, but I know that that's what he means. So we have to be a little bit careful about that because we want these skills, again, from a qualitative perspective to be recognizable, meaning that there's a degree of mastery there, that other people recognize it, that it looks intentional. It doesn't look like that you are giving your child, you know, the, the you don't have the rose-colored glasses on, you aren't giving them so much of the benefit of the doubt. And let me give you an example of that. Sometimes I'll be working with a child and they'll say something like, Ah, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm working with them more, and I'm trying to decide, and then they'll say, ah, and mom will come in and say, he said banana, you know, and I think, mm, you know, not that I want to discount or discredit that mom's interpretation, because again, she will always know her baby better than I will, but at the same time, um, we can't always. <laughs> let's just say we have to be careful in what we're truly, truly giving credit for when we're talking about a child. So we want to be sure that we are looking at these skills, again, from kind of a qualitative perspective, meaning that the skills have to be strong and stable. And uh, that word comes from uh, Dr. James McDonald, who's a speech pathologist from Ohio State. He's retired now, but he's written such great books, Play to Talk, and he has a super, super website that I – I just poured over years and years ago, and then I revisited it last week when I was looking, writing this information and looking at information for this series of podcasts. And I, I love how he listed that. We want the, these skills to be strong and stable, meaning, again, that there's no question about it, uh, whether a child is performing it or not or whether he's uh, mastered it or not. But, again, I don't want this conversation to to scare you. You have got to know what's missing. You've got to know what things are not present so that, again, you can do everything you can to build the foundation and set the stage for words to emerge. And remember we talked about last week how complex talking really, really is. And so, it, and again, go back and listen to that show if you haven't listened to it. Sometimes parents blame the wrong body part when they come in and they're talking about, there must be something wrong with my child's mouth because she's not talking yet. Communicating really is, begins with the brain. And so that's when I said sometimes parents blame the wrong body part. And again, I don't want to do last week's show over again. Go back and listen to that if you have some questions or some thoughts about that or you want to you want to just kind of unravel that in your own mind to be sure that you're understanding it. So let's move forward with these 11 skills. And let me just say that, most of these skills emerge 
at the same time. And well, that's not really true. Let me just let me say it a different way. Many of these skills overlap. That's a better way to say it. And that's a better way to think about it. So you might think about some of these skills. Boy, that's related to the previous skill. And boy, that's related to the one before that. And that's related to the one before that. They're not entirely sequential. There is a good amount of overlap. And again, it's sometimes hard to isolate these individual skills because especially if you're a therapist, you may have thought about some of these things that I'm going to say in a little different way, and that's okay too. I just want us to really understand that developing language is a continuum, meaning that it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen <laughs> quite as easily in uh, children who have delays as we would hope. And so there is, again, a degree of variability here, and there's certainly is a lot of overlap. And so even as we talk about these skills, sometimes it may seem a teeny bit repetitive to you, but I want you to really try as best you can to take a skill to look at your kid and say, is he or isn't she doing this? And then be able to, again, kind of judge from there. Now, remember today's just a discussion show or an overview show of what the skills are. We're not really going to talk about what to do about it, Therapy-wise, you know, what kinds of interventions you can put in place, what kinds of strategies or ways or tips to make these things better yet. The purpose of today's show is just to outline these 11 skills, get you comfortable with looking for them, and that, that again, may be what you do this week. You know, as you jot these things down, and let me just say, I am posting this list later on today at my website at teachmetotalk.com. So go look for the show posting on that. Let me tell you how to find the podcast at teachmetotalk.com. There is a – let me just flip the homepage so I can be sure that I'm um, telling you exactly where to look. But there's a banner. If you'll scroll down at teachmetotalk.com, oh, it's uh, it's right under the Teach Me to Talk logo. It's a gray banner, and it should look the same on whatever device you use. But about halfway over, more toward the right, there's a category that says podcast. And so click the podcast category, and you'll see a list of all of the recent shows. And so this is show number 276. And so look at that for this complete list, and your homework or your your to-do list this week for your child may include, I'm just going to look at these 11 skills and decide, like I said before, you know, he never does this. He occasionally does these things. He frequently exhibits this skill or uses this skill, or this is something I always see. I'm not worried about it at all. That may be what you decide to do this week, is just take a look at these 11 different areas and know that you're just kind of paying attention to it. You are just um, assessing information so that you'll know yes or no. Does he have it or doesn't he have it? And again, we're going to start at the very beginning at the most basic skill and then move forward, and all of the skills do get a little more complex as we proceed. And remember, as I said before, words don't just happen, you know, one day. Words just, your baby doesn't learn how to talk all in one day. It really is that that a process so that different things are happening at different rates, and he may have learned some of this some of these things when he was seven or eight months old and he's kind of stuck or these are things you may have noticed you know even his when he was tiny when he was two or three months old and that's purposeful that's by design because again all of the language development that happens in there all of those prerequisites that happen in that first 12 to 18 months are doing their job they're setting the stage for words to emerge so try to kind of think about it in that way too in that it it's as I said before, it's a sequence, it's a continuum. And and let's just start with the most basic of these skills first. The first thing that we want a child to be able to do is respond to events in the environment. Now, I don't really like to use the word perception because that, to me and to parents, when I've used that word before and then I realize, oh, that was a terrible word to use, sometimes perception means well, it means different things to different people, and you might you might think about it that it's a, little, a term that's a little more gray than we want it to be. I want to really think about this um, this area with responding to events in his environment 
as does a child notice when things happen? Does Do we have a way to measure definitively <laughs> that he knew that you walked into the room? And again, sometimes the parent will say something that uh, maybe gives the child credit for something that's not happening. He, They may say something like, you know, if I said to a mom, you know, I'm not really sure that he's truly taking in or or able to process what he sees or what he hears or you know I don't really see any recognition that that I have come into his line of vision or that I am even here you know or I've been here for 30 minutes and I don't even I don't I still don't see any evidence that your child even really knows that I'm here and so sometimes the mom may say things like well, he's just too busy, or, well, he knows you're here, but he's ignoring you because he knows you're going to make him work, or anything like that. And what we're doing when we make a statement like that without having, again, hard evidence of a child's abilities, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we give a child credit for skills that he doesn't really have yet. And so we're overestimating his abilities. And again, when we overestimate, then we start working at a point that's too hard or a level that's too high. And then we're frustrated because the child doesn't seem to make progress. And the real the real problem there isn't truly what's going on with the kid. I mean, it is, but at the same time, the problem is us. We're working at a place that makes it completely unrealistic for a child to be able to, um, you know, to 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 participate in or to make progress with, or we set our goals too high, is what I'm trying to say here. So you want to be sure again that when we are talking about all of these skills, but particularly this one, that we have measurable, observable, easily definable ways that we can say yes he responds to people in his environment or or right now we're really talking about events so events in his environment so again we might look at this from a sensory perspective and again if you are a therapist you may think i'm going to talk about sensory processing in the terms of you know all the different sensory processing skills that a child exhibits you know with kinesthetics and uh, vestibular, we're not there yet. Let's just boil it way down to the beginning where we're really talking about what a kid sees, what a kid hears, what a kid feels. So we're really looking at that visual piece, that auditory piece, which is hearing for parents, for those of you who are parents who may not be as familiar with that term. Feel, how, do, do we see that he is exploring toys with his hands? And again, this is a really basic skill. Children with severe, significant disabilities are the children who are going to have real problems with this. And and again, you probably know about if this is a problem for your child or not because you probably already have some kind of diagnosis. Um, And again, it could be a physical disability. It could be that your child has a syndrome or uh, some other kind of genetic diagnosis that, again, you know that this is a problem because you were made aware of it from maybe even before your your child was born. So, again, this is the first skill that we're talking about, and most of you listening will be able to say, yeah, I know that my child responds to events in his environment. When he the, when the dryer buzzer goes off to let me know that the clothes are ready, he alerts. He notices that. Or when there's a knock at the door, he runs to the door. Or when there's a fire a siren on a fire truck, he responds. You know. Or if I turn on the vacuum cleaner, she totally freaks out. I know she can hear. So that's what we're talking about here. That basic. Sensory, for lack of a different word that I could call it, but just a, a, a knowing that he his brain is working and his the the ways that we process information, how a kid sees, how a kid hears, how a kid is able to use his little body with its hands to feel uh, objects in his environment. You know, we want to be sure that that's happening. Let's go ahead and talk about the people part as well. Um, does a child respond to people? And we will have children that, again, will 
exhibit or will show you that they notice environmental events like something on the TV or um, uh, any other kind of uh, visual information like the ceiling fan. Or maybe they really like to watch other things that spin, maybe wheels on a little toy. Information that they process in that way is much more important to them or it gets them going or they have more consistent responses to things than they do people. And so let's just talk about that. That's the next skill, so responding to people. We have to make sure that children are developing a consistent social response. And again, what does that mean? You know, let's get let's boil it down more and use everyday language. Do they like being with people? Does your child smile when someone talks to him? Or does he seem to ignore language? Does he avoid people? Does he seem to tune out when people call his name? Those kinds of things are big, big problems for language development. And a lot of times, again, a parent will say things like, well, he just doesn't know her yet. So, of course, he's not going to respond to her when they're thinking about a new therapist. Or thinking about um, a lack of response. You know, sometimes a parent will try to justify it. Or um, I don't want to say make excuses, but that's kind of what's happening because, again, when we're talking about our own babies, we're so sensitive and we're so we're scared. We're scared half to death when we realize that something may not be developing as we would want it to develop. And so sometimes, again, like I said in the previous skill that we were talking about, we give kids credit for things they're not really, really doing. So when we say that a child doesn't seem to respond to people or enjoy being with people or um, that a child seems to avoid interaction, that's a really big deal. And sometimes parents will try to dismiss it as, as, well, he's just like his dad. His dad isn't a people person either. Or I've been shy my entire life, and that's what he's doing. He's just being shy. When really, if we look at it, it goes beyond that. You know, a kid who's shy, again, will avoid interaction, but there's still that spark, that initial response or that initial interest that lets you know, hey, he know he's noticed that other person. You know, he, he is hyper aware, super aware that another person is here because he's doing everything to hide from them or, you know, cling to mom, you know, bury himself in his or her lap when that's different from a child who does, who seems oblivious to another person entering the room. I have a video that I showed uh, last fall when I started teaching my new course, Is It Autism? And that's about to be out on DVD, by the way. So check in the next few weeks if you're a speech pathologist and want to take that course and haven't been able to get yourself to the live event. Uh, it's a super, super course. And I've gotten just tons of great feedback from it when I've taught it this fall. But I, I show a video in that course of a really sweet little guy that I started to see this past summer. And the clip of the video that I show is I'm I'm in this child's home and I'm sitting on the floor and I'm taking notes, talking to mom about his history and getting the information. And this is a child that I had evaluated just for a one-time visit a year before. So this is like you know a year later and I'm coming back into this family's life and I'm going to see this child. You know, the previous visit was just a one-time assessment and now this is the child that I see for ongoing services. And so the clip that I show at the beginning, I'm talking to mom and getting the history, but you can see the little boy and my daughter accompanied me to that visit, and she is in college right now uh, studying to do what we do, be a speech-language pathologist herself. And she is, so she's there, and she's trying to engage this little boy and get him to respond to her and interact with her. And the clip is so telling because the little boy has a big ball, and he's throwing the ball up, and he's kind of running around the room, and they have a really large screen TV in their den and so he's he was right up on the television watching that movie and I'd asked his mom to turn the movie on because he was pretty dysregulated when we were there and was pretty upset and I just wanted him to be able to calm down and adjust to us being in his house without 
and you know without falling apart so that his I could get to know his mom and that she could give me the information that I needed so that's that's kind of why we had the TV on but Macy bless her heart was doing everything she could to get this little guy to notice her and pay attention to her and engage with her and this is the little guy who's already been officially diagnosed with autism and he does not respond to her at now he's not purposefully turning his head from her like I am going to again purposefully choose not to look at you it's not like that he's just unaware he's looking at the ball he's looking at the TV I mean she even threw the beach ball and you know, hit him, you know, hit him, and not hard, of course, but just tossed it over to him. She's just, you know, ramping it up. You know, okay, I'm going to, if you're not going to look at me when I call your name or when I'm saying, you know, things like, hi, oh, let's play, let me have the ball, give me the ball. You know, if you're not going to be able to pay attention to that, let me do something with your little body here. Let me toss the ball and let it hit your back, and let's see if you respond to that. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, there's a whole, it goes, the clip goes on and on and on. Several minutes of her doing everything she can to get him to respond to her. And so that is a, that is just, you know, a classic, pretty um, clear-cut example of a child who does not respond to people. We have to do everything we can to make sure that children first learn how to interact and consistently respond because here's why. When children don't do that, that, that we know that they don't have that, that basic skill, which means that they understand that communication happens between two people. You know, we don't really communicate with the TV or we don't communicate with a game that we play on a phone. I mean, although you respond and stuff, but to really have true communication, communication happens between two people. So when children don't automatically pay attention to and include, and I'll go further and say want to share experiences with other people, that's the problem. That's the root cause. That's why they're not talking yet because they don't have that ability to know that I need to include other people here in what I'm paying attention to. And not only include guys, but like it, but enjoy it, but seek it out. You know, it's always a problem uh, when a parent tells me he would rather be by himself all day long. You know, I have to force him to want to play with me. I have to force him to let me feed him. I have to force him to look at me when I'm changing his diaper. That's a problem, guys. And again, if you're a parent kind of thinking about your child and you're new to this process, that's the first thing we have to get better. That's what we have to target first is to get that interaction, that engagement, that responsiveness to people. We have to get that going first. And again, if you have a child who has that problem, Autism is something you need to consider. And this is something that I can say just in um, a less sensitive kind of way. I can just kind of put it out there for you. I haven't met your child. I, I don't know particularly, you know, the specifics of what's going on, but I, I'll just tell you in general, when a child doesn't consistently respond to people, autism is the very first diagnosis that we need to look at and that we need to rule out. Let me back up for a minute. I meant to say this when we were look, talking about that first skill, which was respond to events of, in his environment. When we have a child who's not consistently responding to sound, meaning whether that's environmental noises like, you know, again, the doorbell, something falling and making uh, making a sound, a dog barking, you talking to him. When we have children who are, who are non-responsive to sound, the very first thing that we always need to do is get an audiological evaluation or a hearing test. Now, in most states, especially if you're in the United States, uh, hearing screening is pretty universal at birth, so your child more likely than not had a hearing test at birth, and you know if your child passed. Well, you probably know if your child didn't pass. It Sometimes it may not be in that whole, you know, newborn experience or birth experience, you know, right after that, the, the first day or two of getting all the information at the hospital and then getting home. If there wasn't a problem, you may not have retained that there wasn't a problem or somebody may have forgotten to tell you but let me just say if hearing was identified as a problem 
during your child's newborn screening, you probably already know about that. Let me just say, too, that hearing issues can certainly occur in a child's first couple of years of life. Ear infections go undetected all the time. Your child may be so fussy, just kind of naturally, that you don't really notice if you tended to be more fussy um, to indicate that there's a medical problem wrong, like um, an ear infection, or your child may not run fever when there's fluid in his ears. So my point here is when we suspect that there is a problem with one of your child's senses, like hearing, like seeing, we want to be sure that we do the medical follow-up to rule any of those things out. And, you know, from time to time, I don't hear about this as much now, but certainly when I first began my career over 20 years ago, we really did have cases where a mom would not find out that her child was hearing impaired until, you know, after the first birthday or sometimes even later, sometimes even a moderate hearing loss or um, certainly a milder hearing loss can be completely missed because we just haven't had a reason to get a, a thorough, comprehensive audiological assessment. So if you have any doubts at all, if your child can hear or if your child can see or if your child, again, is perceiving information in uh, from the environment, you know, maybe you think, gosh, I just, you know, there's got to be something missing here. Talk to the pediatrician about, about getting more testing done so that you can identify any problem that happens to be more medically based versus developmentally based. You know, those things make a real, real, real difference. So that's what I wanted to say under that first skill we were talking about. When you're not sure that a child is responding to events in his environment, rule out all of those medical things first. The second skill that we've already talked about is responding to people. And again, when there's a problem with that, it could be, you know, global developmental delay. But again, we want to be sure that we are ruling out autism. The third skill that happens before children learn how to effectively communicate, or more importantly, we're talking about talking, is developing an attention span. And again, this means that a child notices things that are presented directly to him, meaning, excuse me, that it's not always about what he discovers or what he's kind of initiated or is drawn to, but that you can show him something. You can give him a toy. You can um, enjoy an experience with him. You can get his attention. And again, this sounds a little bit like what I said before with responding to people, but here we're kind of talking about a child's ability to notice what's going on, and then stay with for a little while. Sometimes we have friends that we see for speech therapy sessions who are so busy that they don't seem to be able to sit still or stand or pay attention to anything for longer than a couple of seconds. And that's a problem, guys, because they're not giving their this is how I describe it. It's not what's really happening, but this is the common sense, real-life, everyday explanation that makes sense to parents. I say he's not even giving his brain a chance to learn it. Do you know what I mean by that? Kids who are just so busy and so active and so just always kind of moving on to the next thing that they really don't have time to look at what you've shown them or to understand it or to um, learn the word that goes with it because they've already moved on to something else. You know, not not. It's even get kind of before the talking piece. You know, we're not even we're not even there yet with would he say say a word yet. We're talking about just that initial response of paying attention. And it, again, it's beyond noticing it. Noticing it is what we talked about in the beginning. Just will he respond to envi environmental events? Is he responding to people? This is that next thing. Not only will he respond or notice it, will he pay attention? Will he stick with it? And this is a really, really important skill because, again, our brains are designed for deep thinking. <laughs> We've got to give ourselves a chance to, again, learn it to remember it, to really understand how a toy works. You have to pay attention to it for more than five seconds, right? And so that's what we want to see here with this third skill is to develop an attention span. And again, remember, today's purpose is not to talk about how to make all of these things better. All we're doing today is just providing an overview of the 11 skills that a, toddler's, uh, a toddler has to use or, or master before words emerge. So again, that was number three, developing an attention span. And again, as a therapist, you might think about this in different terminology. 
please know that I've broken this down and, again, used the most basic, simple, everyday language that I could because, first of all, this is a show that parents listen to, too, but as a therapist, I want you to know what to say to parents. I want you to be able to explain it so that they understand what the heck you were talking about. Sometimes as professionals, we can just get ourselves into all kinds of trouble because we try to think of the smartest word that we can use to convey what we're trying to say to a mom or dad, and we leave the mom and dad just in total confusion, and no wonder because we have not been simple and basic enough in our explanations. So that's what I want to do with these 11 skills. Again, not to make this too simplistic, but I want to make it understandable and I want to make it easily digestible for parents who, again, are coming into this whole process without a background in language development or education or or any kind of child development. You know, they're just, they just have happened into this because their kid's not talking yet. And so, again, we have to make sure that the terminology that we're using does not confuse them further. So I've, I've used real-life, everyday language that anybody can understand so that we're able to, again, take these skills and look at a kid and be able to determine with some reliability, you know, can do can we say yes or no? Is this or isn't this a problem? And so, again, that's why some of these things you may be thinking about, a more professional way that you could have said it. And, and if, we, if this was just a continuing education event, please know that that's the terminology that we would be using, but that's not the purpose of the podcast. The podcast is just to get the information out there. So that third skill here develops an attention span. All right, and again, we could have called that a lot of different things, but, but that's the most basic relevant way that we can describe this when we're talking about it with parents. All right, the fourth skill really is dependent on the previous skill. Remember what did we just say? Develops an attention span. The next thing, the fourth skill that we're looking at is a little developmental jump from that these previous skills of responding to people, developing an attention span. And this one is a little more inclusive or it includes terminology a little bit more. This is that attention evolves into joint attention. And again, as a therapist, you're completely familiar with what I'm talking about. But for parents, joint attention really means that a child can shift his attention between people, a person that he's talking to, and whatever it is that you two are talking about. And so here's how I like to describe it, and I learned this uh, this explanation for joint attention years ago, and I, I love it, and it's I share it. I think it was from a conference or from some information from Vanderbilt University, but they were really talking about joint attention really is a triad. It really requires three people or three things, three um, representatives. It always involves the child. It involves you as the parent or the other person there, and it involves an object or an experience, something else that you are sharing together. And here's what, why this is important. And here's, again, this is the, the evolution or the culmination of the previous skills. Not only did we want a kid to learn how to respond to events in his environment, including other things that are there, you know, and not only do we want him to respond to people, and not only do we want him to develop an attention span, to pay attention to that thing or that person. Now we want him to be able to shift his attention between the object that you're playing with or looking at. And again, it could be something like a block. You know, you're playing with blocks together. Or it might be something like you're looking outside at the wind blowing a tree. You know, it doesn't have to always be something that you're holding. but something. Some, or, or you may be, your experience that you're sharing together may be swinging on a swing. And so again, there are certainly other factors that go beyond that, beyond the three things that we talked about, you, the kid, and the the object or the experience. But those are kind of the basics. And we want children to be able to shift their attention between the toy or the experience and you. When we have kids that are just so focused on the toy that they don't ever include you, what happens? 
they're missing important language information. If they're just focusing, using their little visual senses, so all that seems to matter to them is what they can see, and then they totally tune out anything they can hear, that would that would be you. That would be you saying, you know, oh, look, you know, if you're looking at a book together, that would be you labeling the pictures. Guys, if they're tuning you out, that is not a learning opportunity. That is not a language development activity. So this joint attention, being able to shift my focus between what I'm looking at and then looking at you, back at you. And again, I'm putting myself here as a child. You know, what the child is looking at or doing and then including you in that experience by looking at you, by smiling at you, by listening to what you're saying, by looking if you are pointing, he could follow. That's another skill, but this is, again, it kind of hinges on, this joint attention piece, can he? Can his attention be redirected to what you're trying to show him and what you were trying to get him to do? And again, that kind of falls back to what we said about the third skill, developing attention span. Is he able to respond when you present him objects that he's not necessarily paying attention to? So that when you show him something new, is he able to turn his attention to include that new thing? Can he shift? Can he... Um, Again, move his little focus, whether that be, you know, him listening to you, looking at you, seeing the object that you're playing with. Can he do all of that? Those are important parts of learning how to communicate. And so, again, we're not going to talk about how to make that better, although I have some fabulous ideas for that. <laughs> Today we're just looking at that. And so, again, the the it could be uh, many things could be going on when a child struggles with joint attention, but the biggest potential problem there is autism. Children who are on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, have a big, big, big challenge with learning how to shift attention. And sometimes, uh, again, they're not including people and they're not as interactive with people. They would much more prefer to direct their attention to toys or objects or other events that have um, greater visual properties because, frankly, that's what their strength is. They are good at noticing visual differences and visual changes, and so that's why they're in front of the TV, you know, right there. Or that's why they want to hold their iPad up right in front of their little faces, or that's why they really get down on a toy and, and you know, put themselves, you know, one inch away from it because they're telling you, you know, my visual skills are my strength here. That's what really does it for me. That's the information I like to get. So when we see a kid who, again, can't include people when he's exploring an object, that's a red flag for autism. So, again, not to scare you, not to make you any more worried about your child if you're a parent experiencing this kind of thing. I just want to let you know the potential problems or the potential, uh, you know, what what this missing skill is a red flag for so that you can know it and and be able to use that information. So, number four, the fourth skill we're looking for is that a child shows us, consistently lets us know that he or she has joint attention. And let me just say, all of the skills that we're talking about come in during the first year of life. So by that first birthday, and how can we reliably say that? Because that's when kids first, if they're typically developing, begin to use words. And remember how we talked about before? All of these skills are a pattern. All of these things have to happen. Now, some of them overlap, and some of them are, like we said before, kind of a continuum of the previous skill. But join attention, even though I have it here at number four, um, well, let me just say it this way. If a child isn't using joint attention all day long by the time he's 10, 11, 12 months, it's a big red flag. And we know that that child is missing things, missing experiences, missing learning opportunities with people uh, because he has difficulty shifting his attention. And so that's why that's really, really important and that's why we need to pay attention to that and uh, work on that in our course of speech therapy. And let me just say one other word about this. <laughs> If you are the parent of a late talker and you are only focused on talking without even considering all of these other skills that we're talking about today and that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks, you're probably missing um, what could turn out to be the most important factor in determining whether or not your child will make progress. 
And like we said before, all of these skills build a foundation for words. So even if you're working with a speech pathologist or another kind of therapist right now who only mentions the number of words your child says or only talks about the lack of language, the lack of words, without explaining it or without referring to these other skills, that's a problem because, again, we know all these things have to happen before words take place. So if you've been kind of in the mindset of talking, 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 words, 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 without considering all of these other prerequisite skills, I hope that this today's show will get you focused on the really important things, which would be making sure that your child has mastered all of these other skills. All right, that was number four. Let's move on to number five. The fifth area that we look at, fifth area, the fifth milestone that every child, before they start to use words, or almost every child, before they start to use words, will have shown us that he or she can do is play. This, and again, there's a continuum for this. How does play? You're playing with toys, liking toys, enjoying learning through using toys and using his or her little body to manipulate toys. That is a continuum as well. So that starts by reaching for and holding objects and mouthing objects. You know, babies do that in the first, you know, when they've learned that they can open their fist and hold something. Then they immediately want to get that in the object in their mouth. That's a part of normal development for uh, infants. And then that kind of moves to not only will I mouth that object, now I'm going to kind of look at that object. And then I'm going to manipulate it in more complex ways. I'm going to see how it looks when I turn my hand around. And again, I'm talking about that early object exploration that happens with babies, you know, four months, five months, six months. Now, if you have a 24-month-old who still is mostly mouthing and and using um, using toys in that way without much regard for playing with them, you know, that's a developmental problem you know he's he's demonstrating a delay even in his play skills and you probably already know this you know that there are things going on that he's not developing and maturing like you would expect and so when we look at those kids again that's why we say there's a delay because they're using toys in a way that a much younger baby would explore a toy or use a toy sometimes parents will say things like oh he doesn't like toys or they'll kind of they'll 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 have interpreted a child not playing with toys as a choice as like a personality um kind of or temperament factor rather than he doesn't know how to play and so early play skills are so 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 important for children and and kids with physical disabilities now a child who has cerebral palsy or a child who hasn't has had another injury or some other kind of birth defect so that he or she can't use his or her little arms or hands you certainly know why your child isn't playing with toys you know we don't have to talk about that you know that you know that that kind of comes with the territory but for lots of parents of late talkers they really haven't considered that their child doesn't play with very much and again they they try to explain it away as that it's a personality choice when really, really, really the problem um, is probably more likely attributed to something else, another kind of delay. Many times it's a cognitive delay, meaning that they're not learning. So something has happened um, and, and they, they, have, they are not able to understand what they should do with that toy or even, even why they should play with that toy aren't meaningful for them. They, it, it's just, it would be just the same as if they passed a cart. Well, I was going to say a cardboard box, but a lot of kids who don't play with toys like the box. But, you know, your shoe, you know, it would be the, the That toy to them is the same as the, you know, a picture frame. There's no purpose for it for them. So they don't know what to do with it. And, again, a lot of times that tells us that there's a cognitive delay going on. They're not understanding how the world works. They don't understand how they should use a toy or use an object. So we have to pay attention to those things. And let me just say, too, right before children begin to use words, there are three big cognitive milestones that emerge. Cause and effect, well, object permanence is first, then cause and effect and simple thought. And when children can't 
play with enough toys so that they get enough experience to learn those things, those cognitive milestones really form the basis of what um, a child can do and of what a child can um, learn about the world around him. All right. We're going to have to cut it short for today. I wanted to get through all 11 schools, but I didn't. Uh, But I want to go ahead and say that next week's show uh, will discuss skills 6 through 11 and be sure that you are well on your way to understanding the 11 skills that a child must use uh, before words emerge. Thanks so much. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you'll tune in for the next show in this series.